chapter 12 this morning. John is different than a lot than the other three Gospels in some ways. And in, in one of the ways is there's a lot of unique material that you find in the Gospel of John that you don't find in uh, Mark and Matthew and uh, Luke. Uh, they all have or ever do have the narrative of what we call Palm Sunday or the coming of Jesus into Jerusalem. And as I said this, this morning earlier already, I really hope that by the time we leave here today that we will have a much greater appreciation and understanding of what the coming of Jesus into Jerusalem really meant and what it means to each one of us. So if you would join me this morning, we are going to begin with verse 12 in the gospel according to John in chapter 12. On the next day, uh, the great multitude who had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took the branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him and began to cry out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus, finding a young donkey, sat on it as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. These things the disciples did not understand at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written of him and that they had done these uh, things to him. And so the multitude who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and, were ra- and raised him from the dead were bearing witness. For this cause also the multitude went and met him because they heard that he had performed a sign. The Pharisees therefore said to one another, You see that you are doing, uh, not doing any good. Look, the world has gone after him. The day after, the day after what? The day after Jesus was anointed by Mary uh, in Bethany with the costly perfume. And if you're familiar with that narrative, how Lazarus or uh, Judas took exception to that. Uh, And we know the reason why, as John reveals to us uh, but notice here that there's a great crowd, there's a great multitude that is gathered here. And they've gathered here for a, for a purpose, and the purpose is to receive Jesus into Jerusalem. Now, we, we know that. There is no doubt that this is the reason that these people are all gathered so much here on this particular day. Some things contributed to it. It was, it was the, the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and Passover was coming at the end of the week. And so there were multitudes of people who were coming uh, from all over the known world because the Jews, Jew, there was this Jewish diaspora where they'd spread to just about every known place. But many of them were faithful to come home to Jerusalem during the Passover in the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The estimate is that the, the regular population of Jerusalem in those days was probably somewhere from eighty to 100,000 people, but the estimate of the population of Jerusalem during the, the week of the Feast of Unleavened Bread could be as high as 3 million people. 
Now, can you imagine what Dunellen would be like if suddenly there was an additional million people that just appeared here? Can you imagine something like that happening? Again, we don't have this idea that absolutely every one of those people was there lining the roadway as Jesus was coming into the city, but we understand that a great many of them were. I was trying to think this week of something that would give me some idea of of the kind of crowd we're talking about. The only thing that came close for me is this is years ago when Promise Keepers was an up-and-growing ministry and we actually had groups of men that went to a a number of different Promise Keepers events. And we all very much immensely enjoyed them. But one of the things that we did was we, there was probably 13 or up to 15 of us that took off for three or four days. And we went up to Washington, D.C. We were there amongst the men in the mall in Washington for that Promise Keepers event so many years ago. And and, and the estimates of that that crowd reached about 500,000 people. I mean, what are some big things, big, the things that the, the world out there makes a big deal? Well, the Super Bowl, a huge deal about the Super Bowl. You understand that the highest attendance of the Super Bowl was, was just a little bit over 100,000 people, and it took place in 1980. This year, there was a measly, compared to what we're talking about here, 73,000 people. Now, the Super Bowl, one of the biggest events that take place in the United States every year. The point I'm trying to get across here is the the size of this multitude, the size of this crowd. We understand that Jesus is the king. Some of those people understood that. Some of them really didn't understand. They were hoping. They were praying. They had the idea that he was going to be this king. He was the Messiah. And one of the things that convinced so many people of that was his recent raising of Lazarus from the dead. And many of the people that were there who saw, who heard, they saw with their own eyes, they heard him call him with their own ears. Lazarus come forth, and he did. They are there, and they're encouraging the crowd. No one in this room has ever come close to witnessing the magnitude of the event of Jesus riding this donkey into Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. No one in this room has ever experienced anything that comes close. And we understand that he's coming again, right? We didn't see the first coming, but we will no doubt about it see the second coming if we happen to be living at that time. And if not, our spirit is going to be in heaven with him until that time and come back with him. My personal opinion is that certain palm trees are very lovely and certain palm trees are very ugly. (laughs) <laughs> I don't appreciate palmetto palms at all. 
I don't know why it is because uh, I know some people really think they're pretty and, and all of that, but, uh, but I really do love palm trees, you know, the coconut palms that you find down around Miami. There's just a beauty about them, and I just don't see it in palmetto palms. But in the ancient times, palms were a symbol of, of two things, victory and at the same time peace. Victory being celebrated in Jesus and peace being celebrated (coughs) in Jesus. Very appropriate carpet. (coughs) Rolled out for the king as he came. You probably would not want to have been a palm tree in that area on that day. Because I would imagine that pretty much every palm tree, as far as you could see, was stripped bare. We can think about Jerusalem in, 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 in past years before Jesus. There were times of great celebration. <coughs> you can think about, we can remember when uh, when, when not only David celebrated unbelievably, but all of Jerusalem and, and of Israel celebrated the bringing of the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. We can remember the, the celebration of Solomon and of all Israel when the temple was finally finished and the glory of the Lord came and indwelt the temple that had been built on his behalf. But remember this, even Jerusalem had never experienced anything like it did on this Palm Sunday. They cried out, Hosanna. One of the interesting things is this, is... John's gospel is written in Greek. But for some reason, he leaves these words in the Aramaic, the original language. It's been translated in a number of ways, save we pray or save we beseech thee. We know that it is quoted from Psalm 118. And we know this, we understand this, that even in those days, Psalm 118 was recognized as one of those messianic psalms. So we need to understand something, that these these people were not just rejoicing and were not just welcoming a king, they were welcoming the Messiah king, the long-awaited one. Now, we know this. We know that over the week that many of people sing, that are saying, singing Hosanna on this day, by the end of the week, will be crying out another word, crucify him. We know how fickle people can be, that there would be some people here in this rejoicing in the coming of the Messiah and just seven days later, you know, screaming at the top of their lungs to have him crucified. 
This is people. But one thing that stands out to me, guys, is this, and I had never really thought about it much until this week, is is think about what Jesus knows is coming in just a few days. And, and, And at the same time, think about how special this reception was to him and for him. That even though there's so many people there that really don't understand his kingship, he is received as the king. In other words, this is the time when he gets what he has due to him. He's acknowledged publicly as the king of Jerusalem, the king of Israel. And in other words, it's almost like this is just a little bit of Jesus being in the limelight that he should be in, that he deserves to be in, that is really owed to him. We know that Jesus is coming again, as we've alluded to already. When is it going to be? Well, people always are coming up with the time when they think it's going to happen, right? It just, it drives me crazy because almost weekly people come up to me and say, you know, things are really getting bad out there, Keith. That must be the sign that Jesus is coming. And let me tell you guys, those are not signs that Jesus is coming. Because Jesus talks about this in the Olivet Discourse, and what he says is those things are not the signs of my coming. They are just merely birth pangs. So forget about earthquakes as being some sign that Jesus is coming. He will appear suddenly, and he will appear in a, in, in a manner that no one suspects him to be coming at that time. So what I would say to you is we probably need to be looking at what we would think would be the least likely time for him to come. But I read a quote this week that really spoke to my heart, and it was this, that in every age the church ought to desire with its whole heart the coming of our king. You know, how often do we even think about the second coming of Christ? You know, we go about our, our regular day and, you know, all of our worries and this, that, and the other and, you know, and all kinds of things going on and, uh, and all of that. But how often do we wake up in the morning and just think for a, br- for a brief second, maybe this is it. Maybe this will be the day. Things will be different. When he comes again, there will be no one on the face of the planet who does not know that God has descended upon this earth. It will be as obvious to the, to the greatest unbeliever as it will be to anybody else that there is a God and he is Jesus' life was one fulfillment after one another. This prophecy after prophecy after prophecy after prophecy. That he was born in Bethlehem. Prophesied hundreds of years before he actually was born in Bethlehem. Prophesied that he would be born of a virgin. 
prophesied that when he comes, the blind will receive sight and the lame will walk and the lepers will be cleansed and the deaf will hear and the dead, like Lazarus, will be raised and the poor will have the gospel preached to them. It's one prophecy after another. And as we see here, this prophecy about your king coming and he comes mounted on a donkey is all about Jesus. Now, every year I do this because I've had a little bit of experience working with donkeys. But I was a teenager. And let me tell you, the thing I learned very often is you have to be very careful with both ends. Because if they can't kick you with their hoof back hind feet, they're going to bite you with their teeth. And they're not that long. So you don't have that much room to work to get out of their way with. You have to be very careful with them. This is a special donkey. This is the cult of a donkey. A young donkey. We have every reason to believe that this donkey had never been ridden by anyone else. That this was its first experience Carrying a person on its back. Uh, uh, you would say that donkeys, for the most part, are high-spirited animals, I would imagine. Uh, and, 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 and as we think about the greatness of the multitude, let's think about the noise of the multitude. Can you imagine what it would be like for, for 300,000 or 500,000 or maybe a million or a million plus people screaming at the top of their lungs? Hosanna to the king. A prelude, I guess, in a sense of what is, going to, what, what is our response going to be when Jesus comes? Hosanna. I think that the calmness of the donkey says a lot about the calmness and the gentleness of Jesus that seem to just go forth from him. And we know that in a sense, because that king who rides on the donkey described in Zechariah 9.9 is also described as being gentle. See, Jesus, the King Jesus, very different king than people were used to. I don't imagine too many people describe Julius Caesar or Nero or, or Alexander the Great as gentle people, meek people, but Jesus is described as such. We understand that there were a lot of people there were misinformed. They believe the whole purpose of the king's coming was to deliver them from Roman oppression. You need to understand that there were people there celebrating very strongly, very greatly, but they were celebrating for all the wrong reasons. 
they didn't understand that he came on a far greater mission than that. The mission was to deliver them from their legalism. To deliver them from the bondage, the prison house of sin. A much greater mission. Much more difficult mission. A mission that only God we know could possibly accomplish. It's funny. You get these pictures of the disciples through the, you know, the Gospels, the time that they had with Jesus. And sometimes they almost look like the 12 stooges. Sometimes when you're reading the, the narratives, you want to jump up and down and say, when is it going to sink in? <laughs> when is it going to finally sink into you who you're hanging around with? Because you have stuff like this. You know, Jesus come in the storm, and they're, they're amazed, and they're thinking, what kind of man is he that he can do something like this? And the next thing you know, they're worried because they didn't bring bread. He just fed 5,000 people, and the next thing you know, the guys are all worried because they didn't bring any bread with them. They're going to starve to death. It's really amazing. Until you put it in your own context. And reality is this. is How, flaw, how often do we look very much like those disciples who, who seem like nothing ever really sank in. It was just, you know, Jesus would do these unbelievable things and they would remember it for a short period of time and then they would just go back to the way things were before. How often do we fall in that same trap? You notice here that the Pharisees are even mentioned. They were beside themselves, and it was basically, there was so much going on here that they they knew they couldn't do anything except sit and watch. They were completely unable to even enter into the dialogue or anything. And we understand this. We know this is an exaggeration when they say, Behold, the whole world has gone after him. And what they're saying there is, Look at all that have gone after him. Now, let me ask you something. Can you possibly think of a better scenario? than if the whole world really did go after Jesus. Absolutely everybody in this whole world. Wouldn't that just be the coolest thing that we ever could possibly see? We know this. We know that Jesus came to save, but he did not come to save absolutely everybody. This is the Bible. This isn't me. This is what God tells us, that he came on a mission. And part of that mission was to save Kathy Gruber specifically. Not to make 
just make salvation available to Kathy. He came to save Kathy. Because he loves Kathy with an abundant and unbelievable love. For what reason? I can't figure it out. But he does love Kathy that much. Well, if you know Kathy, she is a very lovely, loving person. But see, guys, I could point fingers at every person in this room. It's the same thing. Do you understand how precious it is when you know that Jesus did all he did specifically for me? It changes the picture. It demonstrates the love of God for, for you and I in a way that we would not know it otherwise. He loves us that much. Had a very great pleasure this week. We had an examining committee. We hosted an examining committee meeting on Wednesday. <clears throat> and we just had one candidate, which meant, means we had more time to spend with him. We spent probably five hours with him. Uh, five hours of him teaching his, his examiners. Younger guy from China. Brilliant guy. But asking questions and have to sit there with his eyes closed for just, just briefly because what he was doing there was he was translating what we said in English into Chinese. Came to Reform Seminary all the way in Orlando to be educated. When Mao Zedong took over China, Came illegal for Christians, for Christianity, period. Sensible to death or, possible, or jail, possibly death. The Presbyterian, there was a Presbyterian church in China at that point, and, it, and, it, and it's disbanded. But you know what? It's existed for all of these years in individual little house churches that meet secretly. Until more recently, now the government's more inclined to let Christians do their thing. So the Presbyterian Church in China is reforming. And Caleb happened to come from... I'm not even, I don't remember the name of the city. I'd never heard from, uh, of it before. It's a modest-sized place. It's up in the northeastern side of China. But there you have three or four of these little churches that have been house churches for all of these years. They ask us as a favor to them to examine him for them. They're not PCA. They're not connected to the PCA at all. But I served on this committee for a long time, and I'm not sure I've ever felt so honored to be able to do something like that to contribute in just a small way 
for the gospel to go forth openly and freely in China. My point here, guys, is is people for a time, they may seem on the surface to shut God up and to hold Christ in. But he always has a way of breaking free of that eventually. It's happened over and over and over and over again. Nothing will hold God back indefinitely. Nothing will hold Christ back. We are still in that time. When Christ is going out into the world and the end gathering is taking place and we need to be a big part of it. And just think about it. Springs Presbyterian Church, because we're part of Central Florida Presbytery, we've contributed just a little bit to the gospel going forth in China. Again. It's amazing. The king is coming. Could be today. Could be Easter Sunday. How appropriate would that be? Are we ready? That's that's an important question. Are we all ready? The other thing we need to ask ourselves is what are we doing to get the word out? Everywhere. Not just China, but in our neighborhood, in our family, in our circle of friends, everywhere we go. Jesus deserves it. Hosanna to him in the highest.